Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The border is the biggest story in America. And how we have been covering it, the extent to which we've been covering it, the engagement that we've been giving it, isn't enough. And yet it's far more than the vast majority of people in any level of media out there. We have talked more about the border, engaged more about the border, recognized the multiple facets of the border better than the rest. And everybody needs to come around to this. What's amazing is it is starting to happen. Not movement, not changes. Some people are still wholly political and completely intransigent. But as a subject, one that actually makes a difference in the 2024 election. Oh, yeah. It's officially here. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyCats.com. I'd love it if you'd head on over there, subscribe, be a part of what we're doing, support what we're doing. Let's start with uh, Charlemagne the God, who's a radio host out of, out of New York uh, and uh, syndicated. He does other media work, and he's doing an interview with Fox News Digital. Listen. I have the privilege, man, of uh, you know doing morning radio and speaking to, you know, working class people every single day. I have the privilege of, you know, being involved in my community from, you know, New York to New Jersey to South Carolina, where I get to look people in the eyes and have, you know, real conversations, you know, with them. And, you know, people are really concerned about this issue. Like, I I've, I've, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have, you know, o- over the past year. And, I mean, I've heard everything from, you know, uh, uh, the gang MS-13, you know, uh, overrunning neighborhoods. I've heard, um, you know, what we saw just happened in New York City where the migrants, they took 2,000 migrants and, and, and put them in the school and made the school stay home, made the, the students stay home and, 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 and uh, you know, do school via, via, via Zoom. Now, he's discussing an issue about migrants. I need you to put that to the side. Because that's actually a different conversation than the border. Yes, they connect, but how people see it is different. And if you don't know the story about the high schools, James Madison High School, you have these illegal immigrants and others staying in in a field in New York, right? Kids, sorry, you can't play soccer here. We're going to put these people here because Texas sent them. The people coming across the border, being invited across the border, lying about asylum, they're not coming to Texas. They're coming to America. So New York, you're going to get your share. In Chicago, you're going to get your share. Martha's Vineyard, you're going to get your share, etc. So they don't have a place for them. They're overrun in New York, in this sanctuary city. <laughs> so they get put in a field, but the weather got too cold. So sorry, James Madison High School. You have to engage class via Zoom. We're going to take these people here illegally, and we are going to put them in the school. 
And when it gets too cold again, it'll happen again. So that's what he's talking about. But I need you to put the the, the conversation about migrant to the side just for a moment. Remind me to get back to it. Let's talk about the actual border and the failures that have taken place under Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. When he says we need congressional action, I don't disagree with him. We do need congressional action and we don't have it. But this is not to say that the actions taken by Alejandro Mayorkas are acceptable. They are not. They have allowed for more people to come through. It has been, while he's down there often talking to Border Patrol, it seems that it's a nonstop fight against Border Patrol. And at the second hearing today about his possible impeachment, Representative Benny Thompson, the same uh, Benny Thompson who led the January 6th nonsense inquiry, stated this. I wish my Republican colleagues would engage the secretary to provide the department the funding it needs, but they have refused. I look forward to continuing to work with Secretary Mayorkas on critical homeland security issues facing the country and commend him for his unwavering commitment to duty even in the face of this sham impeachment. Anytime the political right is involved in anything, it's a sham. His devotion to duty, what is what possibly are we discussing here? The border is far worse. The situation is far worse. The amount of, of contacts that Border Patrol is making is through the roof. There are areas where they are outnumbered 200 to 1, and there is no end in sight. Yes, you had Anthony Blinken actually going to Mexico to beg for help. And that's how the trains got slowed down or shut down, where people were coming over by the thousands. Border Patrol is worked to the bone. The morale is low. They're just waiting for retirement. You're offering bonuses now to get people. Makes perfect sense. I don't have any issue with with bonuses. It's very hard to get people when you won't let them do their job. And that goes back to Mayorkas as an appendage of the Biden administration. That is what cannot be denied. This is the conversation that we should be having. Instead, we get Vice President Kamala Harris on The View talking nonsense. First of all, everyone knows our immigration system is broken. Right. Okay. The first bill that we dropped, the first bill that we offered right after inauguration was to fix the immigration system, a comprehensive plan to deal with the immigration system. Do you think they've taken it up? No. We want solutions. The solutions are at hand. But frankly, we're in an election year and the folks who want to return Donald Trump to the White House would prefer to talk about a broken immigration system instead of focusing on the solutions that are at hand. Say at hand one more time. Tell me the solutions are at hand uh, one, one, one more time. The Republicans will say we've got, what is it, House Bill 2? 1,002? We're ready to go. Oh, no, that bill's racist, Republicans. We have enough blame to go around in both parties. The failures are epic. But utilizing empty platitudes like this provides no value whatsoever. Absolutely none. Yet that's all we get from this administration. 
Anybody who says comprehensive immigration reform is talking out their butt. They have no idea what they're talking about. It is just a catchphrase. But catchphrases are where it's at. And the administration is using many of them. When Corinne Jean-Pierre is questioned by reporters because she's lying about where Republicans are regarding Border Patrol agents, getting rid of Border Patrol agents, defunding Border Patrol agents, you know what she says? We like the lie. Um, why are you repeating this false claim that Republicans voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents, even though the Washington Post gave the administration three Pinocchios for that? So we don't believe it's a false claim. Uh, our statements were very direct here. Uh, last year, House GOP voted, uh, voted, and not only did they vote for it, but they touted. They touted their Limit, Save, Grow Act. That's the There's act. No well, limit, that. And they vowed they, that it would they never limit, affect they, Border they, Patrol. They, they voted for and touted it, right? This is an act. And this would have forced the elimination of 2,000 Border Patrol agents. That's what this act that they touted, that they voted for uh, in the House. Uh, so that was their proposal, and, and that was what so they, they voted for back in, in May. The reporters are saying that's not what's in the proposal, it's not what Republicans are saying. And Corinne Jean-Pierre is like, no, no, that's it. Lying. It's a flat-out lie, and she's like, yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm down with that. Here, let me read from my binder, because I have no ability or capacity to do this job, which she doesn't, by the way. Even Democrats are discussing the issue, discussing that the border is the problem and saying that Biden isn't doing enough about it. And it's not just John Fetterman who, the amount of people discussing, okay, we need to study his brain, He's a progressive. He's a near communist. He 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 was a, he was a little ne'er do well there in Pennsylvania. He gets elected. He has a stroke. Gets elected to the Senate. Is recovering, and the next thing you know, he's making sense on the border. He's making sense on on, on Israel. Uh, what's going on here? It's 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 crazy, right? I I'm totally totally with you. It's the weirdest stuff in the world, but he's making sense here. And allies admit there's a crisis at the border and uh, i don't know how anybody could pretend that there isn't that's as clear and as concise as you can be by the way you'll note he spoke in complete sentences there clearly he's better from the stroke now he should never have been elected he should have been given the time to heal that should have happened at home i said it i meant it i i, I still believe every word of that But of course, now you're seeing Democrats, more than a dozen in the House, formally rebuking President Biden. It was a Republican-led resolution. Republican-led resolution. That's not an easy one to do. Denouncing the Biden administration's open borders policy, condemning the national security and public safety crisis along the southwest border, and urging President Biden to end his administration's open borders efforts. Now, uh, this is uh, Henry Cuellar. Uh, Jared uh, Golden, uh, Mary uh, Peltola, she's out of Alaska, and Jared Moskowitz out of Florida. It's symbolic, sure, but they're doing it. Why are they doing it? Well, uh, two things. A, they realize that it moves their voters. And B, maybe they understand that Joe Biden won't be on the ticket, so there's really no harm in doing so. There's no harm. None whatsoever. He won't be on the ticket. 
Blame Biden. It's good. But this brings us back to what Charlemagne the God, this radio host, um, a popular, very popular host, is discussing about the migrant issue. We talk about the border as a matter of safety and security for the nation. When people bring up the migrant issue, they're saying, wait a second, this is affecting my life. A conversation about the border is in the ether. It is a policy conversation. It is a wonks conversation. Safety and security, that's happening over there. The migrant issue is these people are robbing people in the streets. They're taking over the schools. They're making my life difficult. They inconvenienced my wife, and I don't want to have to hear about it. So now you, politician, have got a freaking problem. That is how you know the issue is here to stay and absolutely will move the 2024 election. Democrats feel fine and comfortable with coming out and talking about it because they know that they've got to get elected. They don't care what heat they give Biden. Maybe a question whether he'll be on the ballot. And the utilization of the term migrants as opposed to border saying that this is personal. You understand that what Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has done, he has made this subject, more than anybody, the front and center subject. We knew it was the biggest story in America. Now everybody knows it's the biggest story in America. There is no debate. It's the biggest story in America. Well, what happens? What gets done here? Is this the moment to the legislation? Because what I want is the legislation. What I need is the legislation. What I desire is the legislation that brings technology to the border, that allows for more Border Patrol agents to be hired at some higher numbers, that engages or remain in Mexico policy, that discusses legal immigration for people who want to be workers. You cannot pick lettuce without these people. And if you think that that's some kind of dismissive thing, I'm telling you what the farmers say through the people I talk to. We don't have the workers and you need them. There is a labor issue here and an economic issue here. It is great. Thankfully, there are Democrats who are taking this seriously and serious about legislation to solve the problem. To my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, let's be honest with immigrants who deserve better than what you're offering them. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted HR2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes... The Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. This is who you are, removing the fabric of America. So I want to know which Republican who supports and voted for H.R. 2 will introduce this bill. This is the kind of seriousness we're going to get from the Democratic Party. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. This is the kind of serious? Your bill is so bigoted, you want to remove the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty is not policy. Colossus. 
the Emma Lazarus poem, which is at the bottom of the statue, is not policy. Give me, a, the, the, it's the new Colossus. I always say Colossus, the new Colossus. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, and it's breathe free, not be free. That is not policy, Congressman. That's Max Frost out of Florida, who's taking on the chin for this. He actually had someone standing behind him with a poster of the Statue of Liberty, and then they flipped the page, and all of a sudden the statue was gone. O-M-G. Are you kidding me right now? It just disappeared. Oh, God. True story. A vicious mother, isn't he? Well, he's not very nice. You either want to solve the problem at the border or you don't. You either want to engage in legislation or you don't. And if Democrats want to be unserious about this, protecting Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and engaging in ridiculous stunts like this, go ahead. Go ahead. Meanwhile, people feel affected personally, and they're not going to vote for the people who aren't taking care of them and protecting them and their kids and their jobs and their businesses personally. It's the biggest story in America, and there are people on the left who still want to pretend there's nothing to see here. Okay, people, move along. There's nothing to see here. Yeah, those days are over. There's plenty to see here. This is Tony Katz today. NBC has a problem with Jesus. I mean, it, it, it's not my problem, it's their problem. You've got the quarterback for the Texans, the Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud, who has come on, clearly rookie of the year. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. He's throwing crazy right now, and he's a religious cat. He mentions Jesus quite a bit. He talks about his religion quite a bit, and in an interview after the game with NBC, here's what they posted. this moment mean? I mean, it's been amazing being in this city for as short as I've been, but the love that I've got, I've really just been doing it for Houston, man. People back home, I'm blessed enough being in the position I am and blessed enough to be playing at a high level right now, and uh, we got to just keep it going. But I'm- That's how NBC put it on Twitter. That's not what God said. First and foremost, I just want to give all glory and praise my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean... You you didn't think mentioning, uh, giving uh, praise to his Lord and Savior was worthy? You edited it for time? Oh, come now. NBC. NBC, you did it on purpose. And it's, it is obvious to see. And, and, and let's say it a different way. You didn't do it on purpose. What you have is an unconscious bias against Christians. <laughs> That's right. I'm using uh, your lefty terminology against you. And it feels pretty good. Feels pretty good indeed. It's either outward hate or an unconscious bias. You figure it out. You're going to have to attend some courses. Um, uh, Christians call it church and, and, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get this all settled and get it right. Maybe a trip to HR or two or three.
even if you meant nothing by it, you meant something by it. I, that, there's no other way that it's going to be taken. You look really bad, NBC. Really, truly, super bad. And honestly, you deserve the derision you get. And CJ Stroud, more and more people are going to love him because of this. Just watch. Well, anybody who's not a Colts fan. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Siakam. It is the trade, people. And it's not just a trade. It's a big trade. The Pacers engaged in a three-team deal to get Pascal Siakam from the Raptors, sending Bruce Brown, uh, uh, a couple others, and first-round picks. Two first-round picks in 2024 and a first-round pick in 2026. For a guy who's at the end of a four-year, $137 million deal, which is going to have to get redone. And this move is getting nothing but this. People are happy in Indiana. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you, JMV. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Joins us right now to break this down. Uh, I think there were questions about what the Pacers were going to do with uh, trade uh, deadlines, with, with, with thinking about the future. Certainly, they had the draft picks and some levels of cap space to do it. But was this on the radar, this uh, Pascal uh, Siakam from the Raptors, and your take on it? Yeah, it was on the radar. And, and really, part of the radar was Tyrese Halliburton, who had conversations about Pascal Siakam with Pascal Siakam about what he has envisioned for this place and how he would like for him to to come here and play and then obviously be extended and continue to play. Basis actually, Tony, looked at both Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi at the time when they were both still in Toronto. They just didn't want to give up as much as it was going to take to get them both. So they end up with Siakam, who is on the underside there of 30, who is one of the better scorers in the NBA, 22-plus points per game, and exactly what they've been looking for in a, a forward uh, to be you know, alongside Miles, uh, to be somebody that can take some of the, the scoring uh, pressure off of uh, Tyrese Halliburton, gives them another really good player. And to answer your question, I would not have been on board because I did not want I did not want Benedict Mather to be traded. I didn't want Mather going anywhere. It would have been kicking and screaming probably with Jarrett Walker, but I probably would have done that. But the fact the Pacers were able to keep Matherin, Walker, whom we haven't seen as a rookie very much at all, and then Andrew Nimhart, who, by the way, is a native of Canada and would have been somebody Toronto would have been asking about. The fact that you're able to do that and then you succumb with Jordan Wara and Bruce Brown, and these three first-rounders that we like to reference this all the time, and I get sick of hearing about draft capital. I thought this was an absolute no-brainer. Now, granted, you want to make sure that you keep him around here for a while. You don't want this to be a rental, but from the sounds of it, it seems like that there was – I don't know if there's a gentleman's agreement. Probably not, right? But on the other hand, it sounds like that Siakam is cool with coming back here, given what he expects to be a part of here in Indiana. So I was absolutely on board. 
Talking to JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. What does it do for the team? Immediate impact, long-term impact? Uh, Both, I think. Now, some would suggest, well, you know, he's around 30 and he's just going to get worse. I don't know if you view this like an NFL running back, Tony, whatsoever. They're aggressive. They go out and get somebody that can score, somebody that is a threat. You can send guys back to maybe naturally garden guys. Like, give me a great example. You know, Bruce Brown is six foot three. He's not going to be, you know, matched up with Laurie Markkinen, who is uh, seven feet tall anymore, right? I mean, you get somebody that is more apt and has the capability of guarding more. So I think the only skepticism that I have seen so far would be from, and really it's odd, because the Pacers are going to have his bird rights, which is going to give, they're going to give them the opportunity to match anybody's offer and give him the highest offer. So right there, the leverage would seem that he would come back if he has any success whatsoever and get the amount of money that he wants. Now, the only skepticism I have seen is, will the Pacers want to pay him that amount of money, which I think ultimately when he's you know, well past 30, will end up being like $50 million a year. Will they want to do that? Will his numbers match up to that in years down the road? So it is certainly more in the now. It's being aggressive in the now, but you can't eyeball the future. I just don't happen to think this guy's going to fall off any considerable cliff anytime soon. And I love the fact that the Pacers are aggressive. And you know what, Tony? It wouldn't be so bad if that rubbed off on the Colts. You think some of that could rub off on the Colts and Chris Ballard? Just rub a little bit off right there, right? Be a little bit more aggressive. We don't always have to be playing for 2029 and 2030. I love the fact that Kevin Pritchett and Chad Buchanan were this aggressive. And this was a deal that the way that it's worked out right now, there's no way in the world I would consider them refusing Uh, First things first, I think the Colts have other things they're dealing with, like the health of their owner, and they ain't thinking about nothing else. And that is a story we will eventually talk about, you and I, because there's a whole bunch there that leads to a whole bunch in other places. I want to stay on the Pacers here, because one of the things that, that, that I saw from the response of Pascal Siakam coming uh, to Indy was that the fans looked at this and not only thought that this was fantastic, because this is a, a high-level trade. Three teams are involved. This is Kevin Pritchard, uh, the president uh, of, of the team, putting himself on the line, laying it right out there, saying, okay, we're going to go make a run. Hey, Rick Carlisle, you want to talk about having a team that can do? Here you go. Here's the ingredients. Now go cook me a championship. Uh, the, the fan base looks at this and says, this is going to attract people to Indiana. Sure. I mean players. I'm talking about attacking players, attracting players to Indiana. Yeah, well, and, and the player side of things I'll get to in a second, but, you know, Indiana is not this destination location NBA-wise or never been thought about, uh, you know, no mountains, no, no oceans, none of that. But when you can have a player of the caliber, the elite-level caliber that makes everybody around him better, which we have plenty of evidence of so far around here, and then you get other players that want to play with him. You get players that want to be a part of that. I mean, we have seen that in many different destinations before. You don't necessarily now have to be, well, I want to go here and live my life on vacation. I mean, you can do that and go vacation someplace else, but he can drop dimes on you nonstop, put you in position to score, put you in position to get a higher dollar value contractually, more looks, 
and add revenue for your own self, it does. It makes and transitions this place into a destination, and it revolves around the center, which is that of Tyrese Halliburton. He's the center of it all. He makes everybody better, and this is a true statement. Guys do want to come and play with that caliber of talent. So you could see that this would attract players here. Now the question is, how do the Pacers afford it? Talk to me about where the money comes from, and is this team, okay, going out and getting one guy, and you know you're about to have to deal with the contract. Clearly they're going to deal with it. That's one thing. But you want to grab three more guys at this level. The Pacers have this kind of coin? That, well, and, and they've positioned themselves with you know the, the salary cap and having money under the salary cap because clearly, uh, you know, there's never been any indication. There's always been no way that they want to go into the league's luxury tax. Very few do. On the Pacers, certainly would be one of those that do not. However, they position themselves, Tony, not just in making this type of deal. But if they wanted to, honestly, they could still do something of major proportions prior to the February trade deadline to make themselves better right now and to also have an eyeball on the future. They have Buddy Heald, whom I like a great deal, right? But he's got an expiring contract. Obi Toppin, whom I like a great deal, but he's got an expiring contract. And one of the things that Siakam does is it's going to squeeze out some playing time for some guys. Jalen Smith expiring contract. He's going to become a free agent. He's been in the starting lineup. Clearly now he's going to go to the bench. And then maybe Isaiah Jackson's minutes get pushed back. What happens to Obi Toppin? There are going to be some playing time adjustments made here across the board. However, they still have the flexibility prior to the trade deadline to do something because of the expiring contracts. Think about it. Phoenix basically gave David Smith away in a song and the Pacers can reap the benefits of it with his play on the floor or maybe with an expiring contract or using him as, as something involved in a trade. You know, Buddy Heald's expiring contract, maybe he's tradable. Obi Toppin, the same thing, a one-year deal. Really, you look at this deal with Siakam, the centerpiece of it is the fact that they went out. They had to pay somebody in the offseason. They brought in Bruce Brown. They brought in Bruce Brown. They got Bruce Brown paid, which I'm sure he loves, but it also gave them the flexibility ultimately to make that deal for Siakam. And that's how it's working right now. They're always leaving themselves, at least at this point, to me, a considerable exit strategy, whereas a lot of other teams don't. And we'll see how this plays out. But you, you get all this together, Tony. The moral of the story is, and at some point you've got to do something with it. And this is their first really big swing with it, and I like it. We talk about some of these players that, that might be uh, moving and, and things that, that, that could change. Now let's take it from, from, from the top. Let's talk about Rick Carlisle, the coach. Let's talk about Kevin Pritchard. Because when I say uh, Pritchard put it out there, he did. But Rick Carlisle now has no excuses. You have got a team that can play. You have a team that could be exciting before this. Now this is the Pacers organization saying, we expect wins, we expect playoffs, we expect more. Rick Carlisle up to this challenge? Expectations. Rick Carlisle came on my show a year ago, October, right before the start of the season. Talked glowingly about the roster that he had, but say, hey, this is going to be a bumpy ride. There's going to be some moments where we're going to lose and this product doesn't look good and you're going to feel like it's not going in the right direction. He was cushioning the blow. 
and everybody understood that. But you're absolutely right now. There's no more cushioning to blow. The expectations are ramped up greatly. Moving forward, this year, you know, obviously you keep Siakam around next year. So, yeah, this is just what they've done with a reboot, but they have expedited the reboot. Normally, like I'll give you a great example, Philadelphia's process took about 10 years. It was like the better part of a decade before they finally became what they are right now and still kind of knocking on the door, still on the fringe. The Pacers now are going into that category of, oh, hey, great, they're rebuilding and they got young talent and they got flexibility and they got trade assets and you know draft capital and all this stuff. Now you go from that, uh, yeah, now it's time to win. It's time to win consistently. It's time to do something in April, time to do something in May. So, yes, those expectations are ramped up again to a point to where you're right. I mean, look at Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle's been there and done that. Actually, Rick Carlisle, I think, is the least of my concerns right now, if I have any concerns. I really don't have any concerns until I see these guys play. I see these guys play. Maybe rotationally speaking, that's when we kind of get on Rick Carlisle if things aren't working out. But right now, he would be the least of my concerns, again, until I see these guys play together and see how everybody adapts. Is this a statement from the Simon family saying um, it's, it's time for championships uh, speedily and in my lifetime? Is, is this a statement of, hey, Kevin Pritchard, hey, Rick Carlisle, um, get it done or you're, or you're out. We've come to win. We're placing our marker down. Tony, if it's not, you know, from the silence, uh, it's certainly from the Pacer organization from top to bottom, which obviously they own. So, yeah, I mean, it is to the fans, and it's also to Tyrese Halliburton. It is you were extended here. You had confidence in us to build around you and build you a championship-caliber team, and this is what we're doing to back up our word now go out and play. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Well, these guys get paid so much. Why is that necessary? Well, if you watch sports nowadays, it's necessary across all sports landscapes to make sure that you keep your guy happy. And, and really what they have at Halliburton, and anyone I talked to him back before the 500, you could not have found a better all-around dude to fit that mold of what you want for your superstar here. So not only are they telling the fans, we're ready to go ahead and go out and start winning consistently right now, but they're telling Halliburton, we told you this is what we're going to do, and now we're executing that plan. So it works both ways. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate this deal. 1 being the worst, 10 being uh, you're a happy guy. I'm going to give it a big fat nine right there. Big fat nine. And the only thing I don't know is, you know, what with regard to how much or if he's going to the future. But I'd have to assume that doing that deal, they were fairly sold, if not completely sold, on he would be back. Now it's just time to go out and do what you do. And that's hoop. And I expect he's going to be able to do that at a high level. So give me not on Principal Rooney nine times. Nine a nine. Look at that. Nine times. Uh, yeah. was, was it McClurg, right? That was the name right of the actress, there. McClurg? Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference for you. Yeah, I know, but today. I'm talking about the actress. Her name was McClurg, wasn't it? Edie, Edie McClurg. There it is. Yes, Edie, Edie McClurg. McClurg. And then uh, I believe Jeffrey Jones, who uh, had some issues post-career of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Issues. That's a... Uh, that's a that's a thing. 
But that, again, another story for another day. JMV, the voice of sports <laughs> yes, in Indiana. Yes, yes. I appreciate you taking the time, man. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. In Russia, they have taken to the streets 10,000 people strong, clashing with riot police. What are they doing? Protesting the war in Ukraine. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. They're in the rural town of Abaymak, or is it Baymak? B-A-Y-M-A-K. They had uh, started because an anti-war activist was jailed. People get killed in Russia all the time. Found on the side of the road. They threw, fell out of a window. Uh, Putin is killing political enemies left and right is what has happened. And the people, they're aware of it. So they're really taking their, their life into their hands when, when they're, they're doing this. But 10,000 people taking to the streets, engaged in uh, the, the, these protests, riot police pushing them back. There's a speechwriter, as the Daily Mail reports it, who stated this is how the Soviet Union collapsed. So therefore, the plan is not to have the collapse and to bring force against people who may be rioting and want an end to the war and want an end to the political killings, etc. Huh. Huh. Well, uh, I expect more people to get killed. Don't get me wrong. I, I do I do expect it. it. It is Vladimir Putin's Russia. But anytime there is destabilization in Russia, this is good for the rest of us. Give Putin more to think about, more to do, more th- resources to be wasted. Uh, oh, I am definitely down with that. But these people are going to pay with their lives. And then they must know it at this stage. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. What should the consequences be for Anthony Fauci? Jail. You know, I've sent two referrals to the Department of Justice. I think he lied to Congress, which is a felony. You know, uh, several folks from the Trump administration were accused of lying to Congress and carted off to jail with FBI agents all over the property, host, you know, yanking them out of their house early in the morning. But we have two tiers of justice here. It depends on whether you were a supporter of Donald Trump or you're a supporter of big government, you know, the centralized government. But Anthony Fauci did lie to Congress. We know that from his own words, not because I say lies, but his private email say he was lying. We should be perfectly clear that anytime Senator Rand Paul gets to question Dr. Anthony Fauci, it's a it's a good day. It's a good, good day. Anthony Fauci is indeed guilty. No, he didn't start COVID, but he allowed the cover-up. 
He tried to sell us a bill of goods while refusing to admit that, yes, indeed, through his hands, funding went to the Wuhan lab in order to take a look at uh, these bad viruses. That they were looking at and actively funding gain-of-function research. There is no debate here. Anthony Fauci is a disgrace. Anthony Fauci deserves all the derision he gets, and then some. China is responsible for COVID. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number to be a part of the show. It is a fact. It is proven. Hold them accountable. I'm going to start saying this on the regular, which is nothing more than we haven't already said on the regular, guys. We have said this time and time again. We knew... Without question, that the idea that this was something that was going to jump from animal to human was a very, very, very big stretch. But we were willing, as rational people, to hear the evidence. But as rational people, we did our own research and we saw evidence, we saw conversations, we saw data, and we went to go share that on on then Twitter and Facebook and other places. And we were told, nine, which is German for we didn't approve that. And we weren't allowed to share those things. And doctors who had a different point of view than Fauci, and his gang of head-nodding automatons. They said that those doctors weren't allowed to speak out. Those doctors were a danger. Those doctors were a threat. So we didn't engage rationally. We were told that we weren't allowed to engage at all. But we persisted. We were the resistance. See, uh, I love it when you use leftist terms against, against the left. Makes me feel so good. We knew, we saw that there were questions about how this came to be. And I said at the time, and I still hold to it, that the objective, I believe, by China was not to send the virus into the world and kill everybody. What happened in China is that because they're communists and all communists suck and they are incompetent, except when it comes to murder, oh, they're super good at murder and paranoia. They are so good at murder and, 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 and paranoia. I mean, I mean, almost as good as Alec Baldwin. Too soon? Too? No? <sighs> Send your emails. I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood because the latest story is about the Chinese lab mapping COVID two weeks before they announced to the world that this thing even happened. I believe that the virus leaked from the Wuhan Virology Lab. I do not believe it was set loose. Now, we may differ on that, but I believe that to be the case, that it leaked because these, uh, the, the conditions, the, the systems, they don't have real systems. Remember, it's China. They don't build things. They steal things. 
The Washington Post. I'm sorry, the Wall Street Journal. Sorry, Washington Post. <laughs> that would have involved them actually doing reporting. The Wall Street Journal putting forth that Chinese researchers had isolated and mapped the virus that causes COVID-19 in late December 2019. This being two weeks before Beijing revealed details of COVID to the world. This according to congressional in, uh, investigators. So here's the, 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 the data. And, and the New York Post has a pretty nice rap, uh, write-up about this as, as well. And you can find the piece over at TonyKatz.com uh, under the heading, China is responsible for COVID. Because China is responsible for COVID. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, they, um, a House committee obtains from them documents. Their documents are reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. What it shows is that a Chinese researcher in Beijing uploaded a nearly complete sequence, this is how it's written, of the virus's structure to a U.S. government-run database on December 28th, 2019. At the time, China was describing what was happening in Wuhan as a viral pneumonia, quote, of unknown cause, unquote. But they knew. They only shared the sequence with the World Health Organization on January 11, 2020, the same World Health Organization that wanted to tell us China did nothing wrong. Fauci's covering for them. The World Health Organization is covering for them. With friends like that, you can get away with anything. Now, the Wall Street Journal states it as follows. The new information doesn't shed light on the debate over whether COVID emerged from an infected animal or a lab leak, but it suggested that the world still doesn't have a full accounting of the pandemic's origin. I look at it differently. I believe it tells us that they knew and they said, okay, let's see what happens. But while we're waiting to see what happens, let's buy up all the personal protective equipment and then sell it back to people at a profit. Let's not inform the world and be a partner. Let's not be rational people in a first world nation. Let us be the commie pinko worthless animals that we are. Of course, talking about the communist Chinese party, not people. The people who have to live under this hellscape, they dealt with the same horrors. Let's not tell Italy as people are taking trips. Let's not tell the whole of Europe as people are taking trips. Let's not tell the United States as people are taking trips. Let's just see. Sorry, that's guilty. That is guilty. That is a level of obscene and despicable that simply cannot be overlooked. I only want to know what is the plan for holding China accountable. Now, I have stated before with clarity that the way to hold China accountable is to take the money back. This fraudulent nation that steals our technology, steals our intellectual property, and perpetrates this fraud that murders millions around the globe. 
You may not have gotten sick. You may have gotten sick and then gotten better. But it's clear, it is clear that COVID killed people. Let's not deny it. And it's clear that China did nothing to try and mitigate the situation. So I say for the theft and for the murder, we no longer owe them any debt. People look at me like I have seven heads when I discuss this. I want to hear why this can't happen. We owe China, let's say, a, 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 how many billion it is. I don't, I don't think we owe them a, a trillion. Hold on, let's, 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 let's search it up. How much does the U.S. owe China? Let's, let's see if we can get an answer to this uh, question. Oh, it is. Uh, well, this is from February of 22. No, it's, it's like two years ago. Here, here is um, December of 2023. Japan holds 1.1 trillion. Uh, China holds $770 billion worth of U.S. debt. Well, that $770 billion we don't have to pay back. You steal our technology. You have situations where people have come to visit China. We know one of the fascinating things about China is the way they do it is everybody can come. Oh, you can come into China, no problem. They don't keep people out of China. You can come into China. But if you want to leave, it's kind of like Hotel California. You got to answer a few questions before you get to leave. That's how they do it. That's how they hold uh, business owners and, and executives quasi hostage, getting information before you're allowed to leave. That's who these communists are. We take the money back. Thank you very much. Now, I argued at the time during COVID that we should take the money and we should use it to pay off the debt for all nurses and nursing students currently in the country. That was my take. We, 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 could just, we could just not have it on the debt rolls and lower our debt, and that's great, but let's take the payments that we make to them every month and let's pay off the debt of every nurse who worked their butt off during COVID. You remember the nurses who were heroes until some of them said, I'm not so sure about the vaccine, and then they were villains and weren't allowed to be around children? Do you remember those nurses? Those nurses who put their lives on the line every single day? And then when they weren't so sure about the vaccine, they were told that they were witches and they should be burned at the freaking stake. Yes, those nurses. I remember them. And I think that's a great use of $770 billion. And then let's create funds uh, for my, with money that we were going to use to pay China. And let's uh, pay for more nurses. Something tells me in an aging population, nurses might be something we need. I would say we need more doctors, but you're going to have to change the system that allows them to actually make a living again. Oh, poor doctors not making enough money. Wait till you can't get to a doctor and then you'll realize, huh, I guess Tony was right. Start by not paying China. Let them figure out what to do. It's the it's the old line. Um, you know, when, when you owe the bank a thousand dollars, it's your problem. When um, you owe the bank a million dollars, it's the bank's problem. I say we make it China's problem. I say we hold people to account. I say we get angry. I don't want to get into a fist fight. 
let's be clear. I believe we can win a fist fight with China, but I don't think anybody actually wins that fist fight. It's one of the reasons why we've got to keep building a Navy. But they don't get to own land in, in the United States. We take the land from them. Tony, that's not American. They're not American citizens. They're the enemy. The Communist Party of China. No land. No businesses. We just take it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Tell us we can't manufacture there anymore? Okay. Because we shouldn't be manufacturing there anyway. We'll manufacture Vietnam. Seriously, Tony, another communist country? I can only handle one ridiculous threat at a time. Do you mind? All right, we'll build in India. Fine, you got it. Then we'll build some in Australia. Then we'll actually, oh, you know what? I would say we would build a little in Canada, but honestly, uh, not until Trudeau's gone. The place is just way too weird. Maybe we can work out a deal with some Central American countries and actually get them revitalized to such an extent that people don't start fleeing there and try and get into the United States illegally. That would be pretty wonderful. Don't build in China. We'll build other places. We will teach people how to build the products that we utilize. And they will have a quality of life 10,000 times better than they do today. Oh, it'll take time. Sure. But if China is not taught that there are consequences for actions, China will think there are no consequences for actions. I don't know why anybody would allow such a thing. I don't know how we could abide by such a thing. And if I don't hear presidential candidates speaking about this, then you ain't really serious about being president and leader of the free world. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Do you believe the recent leak of material allegedly from Hunter's computer is part of a Russian disinformation campaign? From what I've read and know, the intelligence community warned the president that Giuliani was being fed disinformation from the Russians. And we also know that Putin is trying very hard to spread disinformation about Joe Biden. And so when you put the combination of Russia, Giuliani, the president together, um, it's just what it is. It's a smear campaign because he has nothing he wants to talk about. In his, what is he running on? It wasn't a smear campaign. It was never a smear campaign. The contents of Hunter Biden's laptop, of course, legit. We knew this to be the case. The DOJ acknowledges that the laptop is real. The New York Post had the reporting complete. Of course they did. They had it all. They had it together. No question. They had it. But it was just a few months ago where Representative Dan Goldman of New York was trying to tell you, we don't know if that laptop is legitimate. Um, You've talked about the Hunter Biden laptop and how the FBI knew it existed. You are aware, of course, that the a uh, laptop, so to speak, was actually, that was published in the New York Post, was actually a hard drive 
that the New York Post admitted here was not authenticated as real. It was not the laptop the FBI had. You're aware of that, right? It was the same contents. How do you know? Because, because it's the same, I mean, it's You would have to authenticate it to know it was the same contents. contents. You have no idea. You know you hard drives can be manipulated. Are you suggesting the New York Post participated in a conspiracy to construct the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop? No, sir. The problem is that hard drives can be manipulated by Rudy Giuliani or Russia. Well, what's the evidence that that and happened? What's well, there the is actual evidence of it, but the point is it's There's not no the evidence same thing. So you're engaging in a conspiracy. I'm glad theory. you agree with me, Mr. Schellenberger, that transparency is the most important thing. And my last question for you is, do you think it would be transparent if Hunter Biden came to this Congress and testified in a public hearing and more transparent than if he testified privately? It's, I mean, literally, I've never thought about that. I have no idea. <laughs> You don't know. Really never thought about that. Public testimony more I mean, transparent than private testimony. Are you familiar with the First Mr. Amendment? Chairman, I yield back. Congress shall take no action to abridge freedom of speech. Yeah, and that's what you just described, Mr. Schellenberger. does good work, Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. So, as as recently as a few months ago, they were still trying to tell us that this laptop was uh, nonsense. There was nothing to it. And the same guy who was trying to tell us this is now wanting to push for a censure resolution on Elise Stefanik because of, wait for it, her rhetoric. Me now. Congressman, was the hostages comment that tipped you over? It, it was sort of the, the breaking point, I think. Her rhetoric and support for the January 6th insurrectionists and for generally the conspiracy theories peddled by the criminal defendant Donald Trump have been ratcheting up. And it's one thing for a rank-and-file member to be saying those things. It's altogether something different for the number four person in the leadership of the House. You lied about the laptop three months ago. Elise Stefanik is the problem because you don't like her politics. What a guy. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. Also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you from your, you know, your, your political beliefs, what they do. They want to debank you and we're going to debank. Think of this. They want to take away your rights. They want to take away your country. The things you're doing, all electric cars, give me a break. If you want an electric car, good. But they don't go far. They're very expensive. They're going to be made. Now, I will admit that was not a well uh, put together statement by the former president in New Hampshire. But if you don't understand the concept of what he's referring to, you have not been paying attention. Just like they made moves. Well, if a sporting goods store is selling firearms, we have to, when credit card purchases, have that denoted as a firearms purchase. Why? You go to XYZ sporting goods store and you buy sporting goods. Does it matter? Do you have? Does the government need to know whether it's a football or a baseball or a shotgun? You filled out the forms. 
You, you did everything Hunter Biden didn't do. You went back through the background check, you bought the firearm. Why does there have to be a separate category? This is the same conversation regarding uh, a digital currency. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Debanking is the idea of, oh, you're buying too much of this. We can't, we can't be servicing your account. Oh, you said this on social media. We can't be servicing your account. Well, we don't agree with that. We can't have you as a, as a customer here. You can only say the things that we approve of and be a customer here. A digital currency is the idea that you no longer have cash, which is weird because right now I'm the only person I know who has cash. I am the only person, no, no, I, I know one other, who carries cash. And people are saying, no, I don't carry cash. Who carries cash? <laughs> you know, I don't think men are men who, who, who don't carry cash. I, I have friends who don't do it, and they are friends, but they should know, and I have told them directly, I, I look at them differently. I do. I think it is ridiculous that men don't carry cash. It is, it is mind-boggling to me. But if you have a centralized digital currency, we're not talking about Bitcoin here. That's a decentralized currency. If you have a centralized currency, digital currency, then the federal government at any moment could decide, oh, no, 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 you've purchased enough ammunition this month, this year. Well, you can't buy that candy bar because we noticed on your digital medical records that your triglycerides are high. So, nope, you can't have that. It's always the way it is. Anytime you give government power over your life, they will exercise it. Why? Because that standard operating procedure. This conversation that Trump is having, and admittedly he had it poorly there, is about whether or not one is willing to except the fact that one cannot change some of the basic functions of man. This is why I disagree with all socialists, and I recognize them as wrong. Someone asked uh, on social media, did I, Tony Katz, meaning me, did I call Chinese people animals? And the answer is no, but I did call the Communist Chinese Party animals. I did call communists animals. I, I, I No fear, no shame. Commies are terrible, disgusting people who believe that they can engineer society through might, through the barrel of a gun. And the only thing they can do is inspire a prayer for a quick and painless death. They have no society that thrives. Well, what about China itself? China's not a thriving society. China utilized the ability to manufacture, to create itself wealth, but never once gave freedom to the people. As a matter of fact, as they watched communism fall and they watched uh, authoritarians fall, they said, let us not open ourselves up to Western civilization. Let us be more rigid in our desires for communism. And while there were many people like me in the 1990s who figured that you could get them to wear blue jeans and open up McDonald's, they saw it differently.
And anybody who now thinks you can get them to open up and westernize doesn't understand what is happening. It is about the control. So even if you were to talk about, look how many people they pulled out of poverty, take a look at their economy today. Take a look at their jobs numbers today. They admitted to a GDP of 5.2%. That's outrageously low for them. And in every single situation, China lies. The Communist Chinese Party lies about what they're doing and how they're doing it. You have massive amounts of unemployment, especially amongst young people. And so, so great is this unemployment that they have given up. They move literally to artist communes to try and find themselves because their lives have no purpose. Everything is mandated. Everything is fixed. Everything is the government. There is no spark to create the mind. So they actually look for ways to do it. They don't make any money at it. They can't make any money at it. There are no prospects for a romantic future. There are no prospects for an economic future. It is just listlessness. The people have become the ghost cities that have been built. One after another with 12 skyscrapers and 17 airports. There are areas of China that have a a per capita income that is less uh, than uh, the, the, the minimum wage of the United States in many places. Yet they'll have five, six, seven airports in that region. Who's flying there? Who can afford to fly out? They built the airports because they had to do something to give all these people jobs. And the money was coming in like it was going out of stock. The money was coming in so fast, you would have thought the Communist Chinese Party had an OnlyFans page. The money was just pouring in. They had to do something with it. So they built ghost cities. So they built these multiple airports. So they built 12 bridges. So they built 17 uh, uh, train systems. And nobody used them. Now they're tearing them down. They did what Japan did, and it led to decades of stagflation. Add to that China's problem with population, 1.4 billion people, but they put through Maui one chi- uh, one child policy, and they killed the women, and now they don't have enough people. And now they don't have enough young people to satisfy all the older people who are engaging retirement. So all the promises from Xi Jinping, dear leader of the Communist Party, will be for naught. The people will do it less and less. And the ones who get uppity and complain will end up dead. So when I call the Communist Chinese Party animals, something tells me I'm underselling it. The Chinese population is scheduled in 100 years to go to under eight. 100 million. No, wait. Was it under 500 million? No, sorry. It was under 500 million. They're going to lose almost a billion people. They're going to lose they're going to lose 800 million people. They'll go to 500 million. They're at 1.3, 1.4. That's it. That's it. Ah, oh, it gets so confusing. You move it here, you move it there. It's not because China's going to kill all those people in the interior of the country so they don't have to feed them, although that's always possible. It's that the population's going to die out. And there's no population to replace it. And you can't just create Chinese people. You can't do it through immigration. It's not the way it works. China is not an example of thriving under communism. It is an example of exactly what happens 
in a totalitarian regime. They killed themselves, and we're all going to watch them die. Not because we want to, but because that's what's going to happen. That's what poor planning does. That's what not being a free society does. If you aren't able to purchase what it is you want to purchase without the government looking over your shoulder and saying, do we approve this purchase? Well, then you don't live in a free society. And a society that says you engage in a way we find appropriate, otherwise we won't let you bank with us and you won't have a bank account and then you can't have a credit card and then you can't do this and then you can't rent a car. That's not a free society either. That is not a civil society. People think civility is please and thank you. No, civility is not forcing people to succumb to your political whims or cutting them off from their livelihoods. That's civility. Not killing your enemy. On the subject of killing, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland made a statement today that is going to make your blood boil. And in this situation, we're not talking about him or Joe Biden or his attack on parents. We're talking about Uvalde. We're talking about the shooting that took place where police did not go in Police did not, this was Rob Elementary School. Children were killed and the police stood there doing nothing. Nothing at all. Of course, cops needed to be fired everywhere. The police chief, Arredondo, who he eventually resigned in, in disgrace, right? doing nothing, they let these kids die. That's what happened. Well, the investigation seems to be done, and Merrick Garland pulled, to his credit, seems to have pulled no punches. Law enforcement officers from different agencies who had self-deployed to the scene in overwhelming numbers were themselves waiting for leadership decisions about how to proceed. Many officers reported that they did not know who, if anyone, was in charge, what they should do, or the status of the incident. Some officers were confused about why there was no attempt to confront the active shooter and rescue the children. Some officers believed the subject had already been killed or that law enforcement was in the room with the shooter. Seventy-five minutes after the first officers arrived on scene, Officers finally entered room 111. The subject engaged the entry room entry team with gunfire, and the officers responded with fire. 77 minutes after the first officers arrived on the scene, and after 45 rounds had been fired by the active shooter, the shooter was killed. The massacre at Robb Elementary shattered families throughout this community and devastate our, our country. Our police not doing their job. Parkland? Was that Sheriff Israel? At, at Parkland? Those officers didn't do their job. And there are plenty of moments 
where they do. And they deserve our respect and deserve our love. But when they don't, they deserve to be vilified. Not that they might fail at the task, but that they refuse and refused to do the task at all. It's a, it's a scathing bit of reporting here, uh, or the report. It is. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there is, there is an interesting sign about this economy that I had uh, not uh, considered that's worthy of paying attention to. And it has to do with real estate. I'll get to that coming up. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Has anybody checked the latest polling just to, just to see what's going on? In the last three polls, Trump is at 69, 68, and 72. The Messenger-Harris X poll, which was uh, January 16th and 17th, so just the other day, Trump 72, Haley 13, DeSantis 7. Holy cow. Whoo! Whoo! That's oh, that's nutty. That seventy-two jeepers! Oh, I can't wait for the New Hampshire primary. There's not enough bourbon to watch that. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I mean, it just looks like total shellacking. Oh, these numbers are brutal. These numbers are equally brutal. This is, I didn't even get into the Lloyd Austin stuff. Oh, man, you can't get into everything. Maybe I'll get to it later, but I got so much stuff to get to. This was a piece about real estate in the U.S., and it's worthy of, of, of noting, even if you're not a, a real estate holder, specifically in commercial real estate, because it could still have an effect if, if you're somebody who rents a, a, a commercial space or deals with commercial spaces that there is $2.2 trillion worth of debt that is going to mature before 2028, which means the note is going to come due. You have to make a balloon payment on this. You have to make a, another payment on that. And in the next couple of years, it's coming. But this real estate was purchased at interest rates that were outrageously low. And if you don't have the money to pay it off, you're going to have to refinance at a much higher rate. So does this does this translate into people abandoning projects and properties? Okay, bank, take it. Now what happens? Does this change now what rentals are like for office space and, and, and perhaps other types of buildings, residential buildings, and everything goes up. It's fascinating. 
$541 billion in debt backed by office buildings, hotels, apartments, and other commercial real estate came due. That was in 2023. And there's $2.2 trillion coming due between, between right now and December of 27. That is a number worth looking at. For me, it makes me wonder where some of my investments are. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I appreciate that State Representative Cherish Pryor took me up on the interview request to discuss her commentary regarding this legislation that would set a definition for anti-Semitism. Tony Katz, good to be with you. And her opposition to it, where she discussed how educators would feel that they wouldn't even be able to talk about Israel, that it would be deemed anti-Semitic. So I wanted to speak to her about it. She did get back to us, and she did engage in a conversation about it, and she was honest. Specifically, this has been about the legislation regarding a definition of, of, of anti-Semitism. And, and if I understand your position right, as, as a matter of general conversation, you're not opposed to the idea of defining ter- uh, the term. Or is that a, a problem uh, regarding should the state be doing that? So, no, I, I, uh, it is not my position that um, we don't have a definition. Um, I, my, my thought and my statement has been um, we need to make sure that we're um, inclusive. Uh, the idea of inclusive being that the definition of anti-Semitism needs to be broader in your view based on what the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance has put together? No, the definition is fine, but being inclusive as far as other religions and other um, marginalized communities. So uh, that has been my, my thought process. But in, in this in this instance, in this situation, uh, this is specifically about defining anti-Semitism. Could there be, in your view, other pieces of, of legislation that would engage other definitions? I think that we have an opportunity um, right now as a legislature to ensure that we are uh, protecting uh, all communities um, that are um, that are being affected, and so I, I you know, I I think that we're missing a, a great opportunity. I think that uh, we certainly need to protect uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters. We also need to protect um, our Muslim brothers and sisters. We also need to protect. Uh, my African American brothers and sisters, and in other groups as well. Talking to State Representative so, Cherish Pryor. All, I think that you know, we, I think that we're missing an opportunity uh, by not trying to make sure that we are protecting all all Hoosiers throughout the state of Indiana. Talking to State Representative Cherish Pryor of the uh, 94th uh, District, Indiana House Democratic uh, floor leader, uh, as it states on the Indiana House Democratic Caucus website, 
Uh, I, I must admit, this is not where from your some original statements. I thought where you were going. Uh, this we we see a massive uptick in, in anti-Semitism as as is reported. We're seeing violence uh, on the streets. Never mind what's happening in college campus. And thus, this definition has been put forward as an idea to be able to have uh, states have a clear understanding of what is and what isn't. Not that it excludes. Uh, other groups and other people couldn't this be done and then other definitions be be handled and 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 voted on in the same way um i think that they that we can do them all together um i think that there has certainly been an uptick unfortunately in uh in hate crimes um for uh, the Jewish community, there's also been an uptick in hate crimes towards uh, uh, individuals who are Muslims on college campus. Uh, as an African-American, I can tell you, uh, when I was a, a freshman in college, I was terrified to leave my dorm room uh, one day because there were uh, there was a KKK march. Um, and those things are still happening on college campuses that affect uh, the African-American community. So what I'm saying is, you know, certainly um, there could be something that happens uh, next year, but then there's a year that goes by without those groups being protected. So in in your view, it has to be, you, we're, we're, we're equating things in, in your view, you, you, you are equating these things as opposed to being able to say, well, at least let's get this done and then we can get other things done. In my view, I think that we, as a legislature, we have an obligation to protect everybody. Talking to State Representative Cherish Pryor uh, of the 94th uh, District. Uh, now, uh, in your commentary, and it was reported by WIBC.com, you were talking about the the legislation being too vague. And this is the quote that is attributed to you. Educators, that's the subject you were talking about, feel concerns that if they were to say anything about Israel, that would be deemed as anti-Semitic. You continued by saying, and I'm quoting, people should be able to criticize any country if they feel that country is not doing right particularly if there are human rights violations. So I wanted to ask you what countries, in your view, are uh, engaged in human rights violations uh, and uh, that should be criticized? Oh, I think there's, there are a lot of countries. You can almost pick a continent and you can uh, identify um, human rights violations uh, that occur uh, I think my statement um, is very clear um, that if there are um, human rights violations that are happening, um, people, and, and there are people in the United States that want to stand up uh, for people who are receiving, um, who are being harmed, uh, that they should be able to and they should not be criticized or fear being criticized or lose their jobs or get expelled from school uh, because they say, uh, you know, that there are human rights violations happening in Israel. So my concern is that we we have to and we need to be trying to protect 
um, all students in everybody's uh, free speech and their ability to, to criticize Israel, just as, you know, people criticize some of the things that the United States does. Right. So you've mentioned now Israel and the United States. Are there any other countries that you, you are OK with? We should always have the freedom of speech to engage criticizing for, as you put it, human rights violations. Yeah, I'm, it, it, any country. Uh, you know, I don't like what's happening um, in Ukraine. Um, there are violations that are happening um, in, in um, countries in, in, uh, on the continent of Africa as well. So all of those, I think, are things that we need to be concerned about. And people need to be able to speak out against those. And so... And not fear, and, and not, and not fear um, that they're going to get kicked out of school or lose their position on college campus or even lose their job. Well, uh, in, in, in the concept of, of losing one's job, certainly there are employment contracts and one could be in violation of those kinds of contracts. Uh, certainly we would agree that if they sign, if someone signs a contract, there may be rules and regulations, just like uh, going to a university might have specific rules and, and, and regulations about what is said and isn't said as a representative of that uh, of that university as 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 a student, but I certainly believe that one should have uh, in in the world of free speech. Uh, I'm a I'm a true believer and have the right to criticize. Um, and and nothing should should stop. And, that. Can I just can I just just also uh, mention that um, when you say uh, people sign a contract, I'm a, not everybody. People sign, uh, I guess, documentation for when they go to work, but not everybody sign like a formal contract with, uh, you know, if you, there are people um, that work who are maybe waiters or waitresses that may not necessarily have uh, a contract that they that they sign agree. for employment. I agree, but we could also agree that they may be, uh, they would be as a server there or a bartender or anything else, a representative of that establishment and things they say could reflect poorly on the establishment. The owner should have the right to be able to uh, protect their establishment. That That's my argument. <laughs> Okay. So, so I, I wanted to just go back to this uh, that we we both agree with the concepts of 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 free uh, speech. Uh, that that is not uh, the 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 argument here. Uh, the 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 question before us is: Is there anything in this uh, definition? Because it, it has been clear that this does not stop any criticism of Israel or or any other other country. Um, what specifically about this definition specifically uh, led to the idea that it was suppressing speech? Well, I don't think that I I, I haven't said that the definition was uh, the problem. That there is a statement in the bill. Um, that talks about uh, not uh, about criticizing Israel. My amendment had nothing to do with uh, the definition. So when when it, it, is this definition you feel going to get a, a, a yay vote and going to pass? I think the will. Uh, I, I have no crystal ball. Uh, but I, I do think that it will probably pass. 
And your view is that it's not okay to have a standalone piece of legislation regarding the rampant anti-Semitism post-October 7th and the attack from Hamas on, on Israel. It should be applied uh, to everyone and can't be specific uh, regarding uh, anti-Semitism. Well, I think we need to be clear that, um, that one, this bill uh, is, is, is a bill about, it is about a bill about um, the Jewish community. Uh, my position is, and it remains, that we have an opportunity to protect um, all students that are facing hurt and harm on college campus. And this is an oppor- a missed opportunity that we have. And you would be, as, as you want students on college campuses to be able to speak freely, you're also okay with students who are proactively speaking out against the terrorist organization Hamas, the butchering of children, the raping of women, and the taking of hostages. That's also acceptable. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again. You are very okay with, if we're talking about students having rights to speak their mind, those students who are opposed to the terrorist organization Hamas, opposed to the butchering of children, the setting people on fire, the raping of women, and the taking of hostages, correct? Oh, I think that's deplorable. Uh, It's deplorable, and I would even say this, it's something that I would not want um, younger people to see or, or hear. Uh, those are horrible statements, um, and and I think everybody's uh, heart should go out to um, all of the the people, who, family members of those who were killed um, in Israel. And I think that we need to be uh, doing everything that we can to uh, make sure that we get the hostages back. Um, I, I I cannot imagine that anyone. Um, that has a heart will be okay with with uh, with what happened. Well, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people without hearts uh, across uh, Central Indiana and across uh, America. But I appreciate taking the time, uh, State Representative Church Pryor of House District uh, ninety four. I appreciate you being with us. You guys know that very often people won't engage. They won't uh, answer questions. They won't talk. And never mind from the Democrat side when you're talking to someone like like, like myself. Uh, I, I can't get Republicans to respond and, and come on the air. So I do appreciate uh, the representative uh, having the conversation. That said, um, there's much of what she engaged that left me uh, wanting. Um, the idea that one cannot have a definition regarding anti-Semitism, because uh, you're not engaging protections for everybody. This is exactly what the Democratic Party did regarding the bigotry of Ilhan Omar, the anti-Semitism of Ilhan Omar. We're not going to call her out. We'll just call out all bigotry. That's, that's not the point. That's cover. That's cover for something that's going on that, that requires the attention. So I, I couldn't disagree more. I think that she's engaged in something here that, that is um, quite, quite problematic. And and I and I should have uh, asked if if it should cover all. What was your position on Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter? And that's not a gotcha. That is a. Or do we understand what we're saying here? Because when people said All Lives Matter, oh no, this is about people who are black. How dare you? Now all of a sudden that argument doesn't 
work? I don't mind other definitions. Well, I, I should take that back. I do admittedly have a problem with the definition in that I don't like the idea that we're engaged in this because I think this leads to hate crimes legislation. And I have disagreements with Jews and other people uh, about this. I don't believe in hate crimes legislation at all or in any way. Uh, a crime is a crime is a crime. But I do often argue that words have meaning. Definitions matter. And so to that end, maybe a definition isn't the worst thing. I just fear that this is going to lead to hate crimes legislation talk. I don't want it. But I'm going to lose this battle uh, on the definition. I, I, I really do believe that. I'll have to fight it in, in, in other ways that I fight it. But I found that her, her commentary was... Um, I, I, I disagree with her vehemently, and I think that she's acting in a way of cover. Whether she, she agrees with that or not, you can, you can call this thing out, this Jew hatred out, and say so. And then you can discuss other things. The idea that it has to be lumped all together, that's done for political expediency based on recent history. You won't catch me in favor of that at all. But I appreciate Representative Pryor coming on the show. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. So I'll put a bow uh, on this and be done with the subject. It's not voter suppression. Not offering free buses. It's not voter suppression. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. You've got this state senator, a burn, who wants to eliminate the ability for groups like AARP to pay for buses and offer free bus rides on election day through public transit. Now, if AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons, is that what it stands for? The, the old people people, which I assume one day will come for all of us. Next thing you know, you'll get that piece of mail saying, welcome to AARP, and you'll be like, oh, it happened. Um, I have it. It comes for all. Like winter is coming, and that piece of mail will show up. If AARP or any other group wanted to pay for buses to take people to the polls, hey, we'll pick you up. This is where we'll be. We'll pick you up and take you to the polls. I think they can do that. I don't know where the argument is that they can't do that. But this is about whether or not it should be done through public transit. And the argument is, well, we're offering free rides here. We're not offering free rides in another place. And the free rides are Indianapolis, Evansville, Gary, of course, it would be a lie to say this isn't for a political purpose. Of course it is. You're talking about inner cities versus rural areas, which are more left-leaning, more likely to vote for Democrats. Of course, this is about getting more Democrats to the polls. Can we please not lie to each other? It seems, it seems silly to do that. This buses aren't available in the rural areas. Why aren't we helping rural people uh, get to the polls? Now, I think that AARP or any other group can do this, but they would have to get their own buses or their vans, whatever it is they use. It is the use of public transportation in this way that creates a problem. And I think that the legislation is, is well, it's fascinating. It's worthy of a discussion. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But if you don't offer free transit on election day, it's voter suppression. This is where the left is and the trolls on Twitter are. It's pathetic. It is such a non-argument, such a weak, sad argument, because anything that they don't like is voter suppression. You don't have mail-in balloting, voter suppression. Voter ID, voter suppression. It's not. It's just silliness. 
It's embarrassing the way uh, this conversation has gone. I, I think that the legislation is saying something. And it shouldn't happen through public transit. That's all. Let people do what they do otherwise. Totally fine with it. But the idea that it's voter suppression, the Indiana Democratic Party has got the vapors. You're hysterical. Calm down. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Of course, the big news about the Pacers today, the trade for Pascal Siakam. Oh, there's excitement all across Hoosierland. There, there is. The idea that the, the Pacers were willing to, to give up to make a move like this, give up two first-round picks in 24, a first-round pick in, in 26, give up some players that I, I think uh, the, the, the people like. Oh, this, this is a move-the-ground move. And what I have totally dug is that it seems that the fan base is totally in on this because it might mean more people coming, more players coming to Indiana and seeing Indiana as the place to play and win championships. I love that. I uh, adore that. But before we get to any time to the playoffs, Indiana will again take center stage because of the NBA All-Star Game that is less than a month away. It's going to be very cool. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Danny Lopez joins me right now, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications for the Indiana Pacers. Also, full disclosure, running uh, for the, the State House uh, there. Uh, and uh, we just because I like full disclosure, that's a subject we are not discussing. We're not discussing his run for the General Assembly in Indiana. We are discussing... Uh, all-Star Weekend, so much so, we're not even discussing the trade, which uh, has taken over everybody's lives, uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, and, and the trade uh, for Bruce Brown and some first-round picks. I know this isn't your wheelhouse. You're not the basketball operations guy, but how good does the building feel after this trade? I mean, look, here's a guy that can play on both ends of the court. He's dynamic. He's good on defense. He's exciting. All-NBA guy. Uh, I mean, if you... If you listen to all the talking heads, I mean, this it puts the Pacers in the top tier there in the Eastern Conference to be competing. So, it's exciting. But I, I'd say this: How about the uh, How about Indiana dominating the sports news cycle nationally for the last week between the court at the airport and this trade yesterday? Uh, it's been a It's been a good uh, few days around the building for sure. The court at the airport, if you did not uh, see or, or hear, uh, there is a full-size regulation uh, basketball court right now in the middle of the Indianapolis International Airport, right there in the middle of the food court area. Yeah. Do, do I, can I play on it? Can people play on it, or is it just there to, to look pretty? So there's hoops up. You, we, you, know, you can't play on it right now. I mean, honestly, Tony, I think, I think even we didn't anticipate the kind of reception that it was going to get, so... You know, maybe we think about before before it gets torn out what what we can do with it and, and make it interactive. But it's just cool for now to have it there. And it, it like I said, it dominated the news cycle. It's such a different element, and I think it it's a good uh, it's a good illustration of how we do these events in Indiana differently than other places. I mean, I remember flying out to Salt Lake City last year for All Star Game in Utah, which was which was fine. It was it was a good event, and it was it was just fine. But if you were in the airport. 
you didn't really know that you were in all-star until maybe you got closer to the street level and then there was some signage. But for us, whether you're at the airport or anywhere downtown or hopefully anywhere uh, in central Indiana with some of the signage, you're going to know that this event is going on. You're going to know that you're right in the middle of all-star because we, you know, we just do these things differently. Uh, my suggestion is at the airport, uh, an eight-team high school tournament. Just select eight teams out of a hat. They all play down there. Winner gets a, a, a cash prize for the school. My suggestion, uh, run up the flagpole, see if Herb Simon says yes or no. Talking to Danny Lopez from uh, the Indiana Pacers, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications. Uh, it's been a delay. Right? You had to wait a couple of years to get your all-star well, we, game. This should have been did, happening we, uh, in 2021. Uh, did the delay make it uh, some great opportunities go by the wayside? Or do you really feel that you were able to capitalize on the extra time? No, look, the the, the delay ultimately was a silver lining. I mean, we all, we're always careful when we talk about COVID and silver linings. But, uh, but the you know, the, the having the more time, allowed us to organize uh differently to pull stuff together that we weren't going to be able to do i mean remember that we we did we won this bid in 2017 when larry drove the indy car on fifth avenue and hand delivered the bid to the nba we planned for 21 the building Gamebridge would have been half completed so you would have had you know gray seats and green seats in the balconies and it wouldn't have been it just wouldn't have been done and so it would have been great, and it would have been a celebration of basketball and a celebration of Herb and a celebration of Indiana, but it wouldn't have been the same. Now you've got a completed building, you've got the plaza outside, uh, and you're able to do this in a way. I mean, 21 would have been low touch, and it would have been all this other stuff that would have sort of taken a little bit of the luster off the experience. Now we're able to do things the way we were going to do them, we're planning on doing them. And so from that standpoint, it, it really actually was, was beneficial to us in the planning um, and, you know, again, when you've got this many people involved, there, there's cities that don't even have host committees. We've got 400 people on this host committee, lots of volunteers, lots of people that are actively engaged. Uh, this wouldn't have been possible in 2021. So, I mean, from that, from a lot of standpoints, I'd say uh, it was a blessing that this thing got pushed back a little bit. But it has been seven years. I think everybody's ready. We're within 30 days now. We're inside of 30 days. Uh, I think everybody's more than ready to get this thing going. Talking to Danny Lopez of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, the whole weekend, walk me through it. Uh, let's let's do uh, the, the TikTok of events, both at Gamebridge uh, and at Lucas Oil Stadium. So Thursday night, we've got, we're going to actually, we just announced it yesterday, we're going to have something called tip-off. It's never never been done uh, for NBA All-Star, but it's essentially a, an opening ceremony that we'll do at the Plaza. And it'll be um, it'll be Thursday night at 6:30. We're going to put more information out here in, in a couple of weeks on where you can get tickets. It'll be free, but we'll, but but ticketed obviously because we have limited space out on the plaza. Uh, and then starting on on Friday, we're going to have the, you'll have the Rising Stars game, the Celebrity game. Um, you'll go into All Star Saturday night and practice and media day on uh, on Saturday, and then of course Sunday is the game, and then. You know, the interesting thing about All-Star, which is a little bit different from, you know, Super Bowl or, or any of these other uh, major events that we host, certainly the NCAAs, is you have all these ancillary events that are, some of them are basketball-related, some of them have nothing to do with basketball. So, you know, we're, we're doing something called Day of Service. So the NBA does a Day of Service every single year for All-Star. Typically, it's an hour or two. The commissioner comes out. They invite some former players. They do some, you know, backpack packing or some meal packing, uh, take some photos, and off they go. Well, we turned that into 24 hours of service. So we're doing, starting on 
on uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. and ending up on Friday at 4 p.m., we're pulling in 6,000 volunteers, which we'd love folks to volunteer. There's still some spots, particularly for the overnight shifts. Uh, and you can go to pacers.com slash all-star for all of this and to sign up. But we're pulling in 6,000 volunteers. We're going to pack a million meals. They're going to be distributed through food banks all across the state of Indiana. Uh, so that'll be going on at Lucas Oil on the other side of the curtain from where all-star Saturday night is going to be held. Um, so, you know, there's just things like that. We're going to be doing something at Christmore House. We're going to be do- doing something at Christmas Attics. I mean, it's just going to be a busy, busy weekend. You hit the nail on the head uh, in the intro. There's going to be upwards of 125 to 150,000 people descending upon downtown. And one of the things that other cities we noticed a lot for from previous host cities was a lot of sort of messaging around, you know, it's going to be busy downtown, so you may want to stay away. We want people to come downtown. Whether you've got a ticket, whether you're a fan of basketball or the NBA, just come downtown. It's going to be a party. There's going to be tons of things going on, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. One of the uh, questions uh, about what happens downtown is, of course, you know, we talk about downtown uh, often. And while I'm not looking to get a a, a political uh, conversation uh, going, talk to me about safety and security for people who are coming to Indianapolis for the event. So we've been having, I mean, for years now, we've been having a lot of conversations with IMPD and NBA security to ensure that, you know, you've got a safety plan and a security plan in place. Um, You know, so I, I think from that standpoint, people shouldn't feel like you know there's any security concerns or safety concerns because the planning has been done and and again this isn't the first time that we do these large-scale events i mean if you think about super bowl at georgia street i still have the photo up in my office of georgia street and it, it was you know it was front to back packed in like sardines um and it was safe it was a safe environment it was a fun environment so we're, we're less concerned about safety and security uh downtown because we've got a plan in place and, and it's going to be secure and we're more sort of excited about uh, what we can do with folks when they're downtown. Danny Lopez of the Indiana Pacers, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Looking forward uh, to the weekend and looking forward uh, to downtown making a crap ton of cash. That's <laughs> Absolutely. Good economic impact. It's good for businesses downtown. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we, we may not have this again in most of our lifetimes. Uh, so come on out and, and check it out and just enjoy it. Yeah, but I want those out-of-town people to spend all their money. Don't just enjoy it. Spend all of your loot. Danny Lopez of the Indiana Pacers, I appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So I reported earlier this week, heck, it could have been yesterday, and I don't even remember, that Brad Chambers, candidate for governor, Republican nominee, or now he's not, he's searching to be the Republican nominee. Uh, he had raised $8.2 million since July. I thought that number was staggering. And I asked the question, wait, does that include money he put in? Yes. It included a $5 million loan he gave himself at the start of the campaign, which would still mean he raised $3.2 million, which is still... Pretty impressive. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Over there at the Indianapolis Business Journal, Peter Blanchard reporting. They've got the numbers. All the reporting is in. And this primary, people are going to spend some loot. They're going to spend a crazy amount of money. So here's where it is. 
Uh, you've got Mike Braun raising approximately $2.1 million in the second half of, of, of the year. His campaign reporting more than $4 million cash on hand. He raised more than $4.3 million in 2023. So Braun has raised more money as is reported, than any of the five candidates seeking the Republican nomination. Of course, Mike Braun, your current U.S. Senator. Then you've got Brad Chambers, the former Secretary of Commerce in Indiana. Then you have Suzanne Crouch, the sitting Lieutenant Governor. You've got Eric Doden, businessman out of Fort Wayne. And Curtis Hill, the former Attorney General of Indiana, who had to leave the the accusations of impropriety. But he has got the social conservatives uh, fairly well wrapped up. Certainly the activist class. Brad Chambers, as we said, ends with $2.9 million cash on hand. If he gave himself a $5 million loan, he raised three point two. Chambers has spent over $5 million so far. And that, of course, is he's got to get the name ID. Of all these people, he probably, maybe Doden, uh, he's got the lowest name ID. People don't necessarily know who the Secretary of Commerce is. They, they, it's just not something that, that you know. So he has spent money doing that. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, can we discuss the fact that this woman can fundraise? Look, I, I think she has got uh, the, the worst path going forward. Too tied to Eric Holcomb, which doesn't win you anything, uh, and and I don't think there's an excitement there. I, now, everything can be wrong. It's my take. Uh, I look forward to sitting down and speaking with her. She reports more than $3.7 million cash on hand. So what did they raise? She raised $2.4 million in 2023. She had $1.2 million basically on already. So she's got $3.7 million ready to go. That does not mean she had a necessarily a good raise in the second half of 2023. If you take a look at Eric Doden, and here's a great example. He's got just over a million dollars cash on hand, which is not enough. He raised $400,000 in the second half of 2023 and $2.2 million for the entire year, which means when the competition started being noted, it would seem to me that the money dried up. Now, I've only met the man once. He was certainly very nice to me, but very often people are very nice to me because they want nice things said uh, on, on uh, radio. Um, they should know that it doesn't necessarily work like that. Uh, when I say necessarily, it doesn't work like that. I discussed the thing as I discussed the thing, but dude was totally nice. But that's, that's a story. That is a story. He spent $4 million in 2023, did Eric Doden trying to get some name ID because outside of Fort Wayne, he doesn't really have it. And I don't think that it has necessarily worked. Then there is the former Attorney General Curtis Hill. He raised just shy of $400,000 in 2023, most of it in the second half of the year after he announced his candidacy. Now I have a question of how much he he has on hand. You have Jennifer McCormick, the Democrat nominee for governor, raising $150,000 in the second half of the year, bringing her year-end total to four hundred fifty grand. Donald Drainwater, the Libertarian, Raising less than 20000 since entering the race, reports $13,000 cash on hand. Leave it to the Libertarians to still not be serious about funding candidates. Sorry, Libertarians, you're not serious. The money's not there. You have not yet broken through on this. I want you to because I like the idea of it. I do. 
But it's 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 it. You're not there yet. Four years we haven't engaged any any breakthroughs in fundraising at all. Meanwhile, these these numbers are pretty big, and you'll note Curtis Hill has the least amount of money. I, I get that, but I have a theory, and the theory goes as follows: He may have less money, and he'll always have less money. But when you have the activists, you have a chance. And I wouldn't be surprised if Curtis Hill is the second last man standing against, well, right now I, I would, see, I, I don't want to make assumptions like that because now I'm kind of showing my hand. I, I think I I think Doden has a real issue with name ID and money to be able to make that name ID happen. I think Suzanne Crouch has the biggest issue regarding a connection to uh, Eric Holcomb, that would leave Braun and Chambers, who are also the two biggest money guys. It's very possible it's one of those guys in Curtis Hill at the end because Curtis Hill is the only one who can survive without all the money, although the money matters. We shouldn't lie to ourselves. How much is going to get spent here? A lot. The candidates have raised $18 million so far, and we're just going to get into it. Like it, it, the, the the campaign, it's it's January, kitten. It's just starting. Um, it, it it's going to be kind of a fascinating race. And the question is, how abused and and beaten up will a candidate be out of the primary, uh, for for a general where Republicans will have attacked each other that they're doing the job for Democrats in the Oppo research. <laughs> when you have money like this. They're spending it, but the people going after you are going to save it. You get that point, right? I, I figured you would. Good Lord. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. Get uh, the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast, and, of course, the videos. Uh, TonyKatz.com, Rumble, or, or YouTube, wherever it is you get the videos. Go check those out. Go subscribe. I will catch you tomorrow, everyone. Take care. Take care.